We are kicking off this brand new series called Pursuit, uh, and it is a relationship series, all right? Uh, and it is happening because it's February, right? It's the season of love, right? <laughs> it is happening on purpose right now, but the reality is, is that we wanted to do this series because as we were planning out for the year, we remembered we really haven't talked about this you know, from this particular perspective in a while. Okay, I don't know if you guys remember 2021 or 2022 when it was a little hairy. Um, we were talking more about damaged relationships and how to deal with, you know, all the, you know, the outcome of relationships. We, we, we didn't get a chance to necessarily talk about how do you enter into relationships? How do you, what does God have to say about our relationships, our close relationships? So we were, as we were praying about it this year, we we're like, no, we got to do, we've got to be able to talk about this because we really do believe God has a lot um, to say. And so I was going to talk specifically about this idea of pursuit with this question, what are you pursuing? Right? What are you pursuing? And if you were to, and again, I, I, the answer to that question is I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know what, what your goals and dreams are. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are. I don't know what drives you and fuels you. I have no idea. But if you just kind of Google it or duck, duck, go it or whatever it is you, you, know, you prefer, like if you do that and look up some list of things, you'll find some common things that people sort of want and kind of spend their life pursuing. And, you know, none of us would disagree with this. Happiness, right? People want to be happy. And they, they, everything they do kind of drives around their idea of, you know, being happy. Money and freedom. These aren't bad things, by the way. Money and freedom, like, that's not bad. Financial security. Passion, you know, everybody wants to, the romance and the passion and things like that. Peace and security, that's not a bad thing, right? Especially as crackly as the last couple of years has been, we could use some peace and some, you know, stableness, right? Satisfaction and fulfillment, you'll find this oftentimes in maybe older generations, but the reality is, is that people want to do things that matter. People want to do, have, live a life that, you know, has some significance and satisfies and fulfills you. And so these aren't bad. And so the original purpose of today was I was going to talk a little bit about God's pursuit of us uh, in terms of how, it how we respond in relationship. But I felt like last series, when we talked about faith, we did a really good job kind of setting ourselves up for this. And the question that just continued to come back to me was not just what are we pursuing, but what does God want us to pursue? What, what direction does God want us to kind of like move our lives in and move towards, um, and especially when it comes in the context of relationships? Because reality is that last list we just looked at, the happiness, the success, the fulfillment, the satisfaction... Whether we realize it or not, we are actually hoping and wanting and pursuing and living our life in such a way that we want the relationships in our life to actually meet those needs, right? We want the marriages and the close friendships and so on and so on. And maybe you're not married yet and you're looking for that spouse and you're looking for that again. Like you want your relationships to bring those things to you, right? To make you happy. Oh, she just makes me so happy, you know, and he's got a good career, you know, and he's good and you know, we walk by each other and it's like, you know, just tingles and fireworks, you know, kind of thing. And the passion and romance alive. And, you know, maybe it's peace and security. Like, you know, he makes me feel like I can be my true self, my authentic self, you know, and, you know, uh, uh, you know fulfillment and satisfaction. You know, you complete me. You remember Jerry Maguire? You know, you, you complete me, right? What a great phrase. So we look for these relationships to kind of deliver on the things we are pursuing, but the idea of what does God really want us to pursue? And this is the theme verse that I've kind of landed on for this series, is that 
I really do think, it's not that these things are bad, okay? God God is not against your happiness or money or passion. I mean, God created passion. Like, he's he's not against any of these things. But he did give us some wisdom and some context and some direction about what we should be pursuing. So here's the verse. This is in the Sermon on the Mount after he talks about worry and everyday lives. And he says, here's what I want you to do. (laughs) I want you to seek the kingdom of God above all else. Some, some translations say, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, key words in there are seek, right? Pursue after, and he will give you everything you need. Not everything you want, <laughs> not everything you desire, not every outcome you wish would happen. Like, don't, don't hear that. But understand, again, he's not against our happiness and our joy, and he's not against our passion and our emotion. He's not against our need for, for stability and peace. Like, but when it comes to what we really need, if we seek him first, if we pursue him first, then it sort of seems like the rest of these things sort of begin to take form and will begin to take place. So we're going to talk about relationships. Um, I'm going to give you a little framework for the next few weeks as we talk about relationships in terms of why our decisions matter, not our big decisions. Don't hear that. Don't hear marriage and did I go to the right school and did I choose the right thing and did I choose the right job? We put a lot of you know, weight on big decisions, right? I'm talking about the everyday decisions, like the, the little decisions. Why? Because decisions determine our direction. The decisions we make actually determine the rudder, so to speak. They, they determine the compass, where the compass is pointing. And our direction determines our destination. Again, not outcomes. doesn't determine the outcomes. God's in charge of those. But it, he, it, it determines what we're seeking and the fullness of where we want to go and where, we wanna, where we're trying to get to. And so our, our, our decisions matter because they sort of start this ball where they kind of fix our rudder and they kind of get our compass headed in the right direction so that we can actually understand and go towards the destinations we want, right? I mean, that's, that seems pretty elementary, but I want you to think about the framework in terms of that for our decisions. Guys, we, the last poll they took or the last study they did, if you look it up again, um, they, they basically assume the average American, because they were talking about the people in the West, the average American makes about 35,000 decisions a day. Do you guys know that? 35,000 decisions a day. Why? Because our life is filled with choices, right? We choose everything. So we're, we, we have this average of like constantly having to make decisions, which is also where decision fatigue comes into play. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but as the volume of decisions you need to make and choices you need to make increases, the quality of your decision making decreases. Did you know that? This isn't practice makes perfect. This, this is practice wears you out. Right? Like this not the volume increases, your quality of decision making actually goes down. So there are some things that we need to pre-decide. There are some ways, ways in which we can approach this, especially when it comes to relationships. Okay, in our relationships, what kind of decisions are we making to kind of help our rudder, our direction, and what we're pursuing and the de- destination we want to see? It's a lot of the wisdom we're going to read about in the Proverbs. I mean, again, Proverbs is just filled with a lot of wisdom for us that helps us understand, like, these, these things matter. 
You know, this is Proverbs 27. It just says, sensible people will see trouble coming and avoid it, right? But the unthinking person will walk right into it and regret it later. And they're going to walk, like the person who's not really worried about the decisions they're making right now, again, right now decisions don't matter. Oh, there'll be a big decision one day I need to make. But they're going to make a whole lot of decisions that they regret in between then and now, right? Does that make sense? Like, I know it seems very elementary in logic, but this is important as we kind of set the foundation for the kind of relationships you want. So maybe you're here today and you're a parent of, you know, teenager, tweenagers and teenagers, and you're beginning to kind of think through the relationships they're going to be engaging in and, and having. Maybe you yourself are looking forward to being married one day or engaging in a, in, a, in a close relationship or having, again, a close relationship. Maybe you're on the other side of marriage, whether it's widowed or divorced or whatever the case is, and you're single again, and you're thinking already about, like, what, what, you know, is it possible? Like, you know, how do I reset this and, you know, kind of clear the deck and make some better choices? This is really what this series is kind of aimed towards and kind of all about. And again, we're going to break it up over the next several weeks. We're going to talk a lot about marriage next week. But today, again, I'm just going to focus on some foundational things in terms of the decisions we make and lining us up with what we are pursuing in terms of seeking him first in our relationships. I want to go ahead and hit some really quick, especially for the young people in the room, I'm going to hit some really quick myths, all right? Really quick marriage myths. And if you're married and you agree with this, you just give me a big old amen, okay? You just give me a right on, right? Okay, this is, this is the stuff that we've all, maybe some of us have learned the hard way, right? We want to pass this wisdom on to our kids, right? These are marriage myths, right? First one, that you're looking for the right one. You guys know what I'm talking about? No, you see, that's right. You're looking for the right one. Like, like there's, there's this concept that there's a right one for everyone. And for your one, you know, need, you need to find this one that's the perfect one for your one. And, you know, somebody screwed up and that one married that one. And now my one is messed up and the chain is broken. And I'm never going to meet my one. Because, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, this is a myth of trying to find the right one. Why? Because... We make these assumptions that if we, find, if we find the right one, that everything is going to go all right. And worse is that when things don't go all right, we assume we got the wrong one. Right? Any amens to that at all? Right? Like that's, we don't want to learn the hard We don't want our kids to learn the hard way. Right? There's no right one. That, that's, that, that's a myth. Right? How about this one? Marriage is going to solve and fix everything. Right? I mean, guys, listen, we were all naive once okay? Marriage is going to solve and fix everything. Oh, you know, we're just having all these little arguments and, and little fights. It's going to be so much better when we get married. No, it's not, right? Marriage is, matter of fact, doesn't usually fix or solve anything. It just creates more things. It just amplifies more things, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just amplifies more things. Like, like we, we need to be aware of the fact that, that this is a myth. This is a lie, that we're gonna that that if you, that that the problem that he has or the problem that she has is gonna go away once we solidify this in terms of marriage. The last one I love too is uh, you got to read it both ways. Everything will change once we get married, or nothing will change once we get married. Right? Why does that? Why do you have to read it both ways? Because I love this quote. Right? I love this quote. Go to the next page. Men marry women hoping they won't change. Women marry men hoping they will change. Inevitably, both are disappointed. 
right? How many counseling sessions do you think happen where a guy is complaining that the woman he married ain't the same woman no more, right? This ain't the same. I thought she wasn't going to change. And the woman is complaining because, good Lord, I've been working with for him for years and I still can't get him to change, right? Inevitably, both are going to be disappointed because these are myths. And sadly, these are a lot of myths that just kind of perpetuate in our culture and continue for some weird reason. They continue. And, and that, to me, is probably one of the saddest things that, that, that you know, people immediately begin these relationships with a really bad foundation, right? Really, really rough and rocky foundation. So I'm going to talk a little bit today because, because look, it's searching for the right one, it's not, it's not really the best direction in terms of pursuit. You know, you can't control whether you meet the right one. You can't control how that's going to work. You don't know when they're going to come. You don't know who they're going to, you know, you don't know any of these things. Like trying to control that is ridiculous. But there is a better question. There's a better question to ask, especially in terms of pursuit of relationships. How about this one? Are you becoming the one you're looking for is looking for? Right? Like, like in terms of what you're able to do, how about you focus on that question? Right? Why don't, you worry, why don't you work now and make some decisions now so that you can be the one that the one you're looking for is actually looking for? That's a, great, that's a great question because all you can control is you. All you can work on is you. You can't necessarily control all of that. So we're going to talk today just foundationally about what is it that you can do in terms of seeking him first, in terms of you know, keeping him above all else and letting it kind of encompass your relationships in terms of your decisions and the way in which it, it affects your rudder and your pursuit. We're going to talk about some, some um, pursuit of Christ-centered relationships. I'm going to give you a few things here. The first thing I want you to think about is just shared values. Shared values. This is going to be really important in terms of foundation for any relationship that's going to be a close relationship. Shared values. Now, what I didn't say was shared interests, okay? Shared interests. That te- that's always tends to get a lot more play in our like, well, we both like the same things, you know, it's great, you know, it's, it's shared interests. And I, I'm not saying shared interests is great, but listen, shared interests are going to change, okay? They're going to change over time, okay? I can guarantee you, my parents right now enjoy the weirdest stuff Okay, and it's nothing like what they enjoyed, but you know, but, but in their younger, in their twenties and thirties and early marriage, like it's, it's shared interests change over time. And listen, you can do all you can do your best to fake the shared interest thing, but that doesn't always. If you don't, if it's all you have, you're in trouble. Okay, when my wife met me and when we first got married, like I was singing southern gospel music. Okay, like I was working a job and kind of working my, my thing, but I was singing, like that was my life. That's what kind of encompassed me. And she was just like, you know, she was a good Christian girl. So she's like, oh yeah, that'll be cool, you know, whatever. And so she tried, she did her best to have a share, common shared interest with me. And I drug her to gospel sing, to homecoming, you know, five hour homecomings with cold food. And listen, some of y'all don't get it. I'm just telling you, like it was it was miserable. And she did the best she could. Man, I applaud her. She did the best she could. She was so happy when that interest changed, right? She was so happy. And so I'm just saying, like, don't, don't, don't focus so much on that. Focus on the things that matter. Do you have shared values that are the foundation of who you are and the foundation of what you want your relationship to be? Here's how Paul said it to the church in Corinth. He actually said this, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. He's talking to the church. 
He says, for what, righteousness, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Uh, down in verse 15, it says, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, Paul is very specifically using that word yoked because he's talking about a close uniting or a partnership. He's not talking about whether or not we love our neighbor. He's not talking about whether we minister to people or, or, or engage with people who don't look like us or think like us or believe like we believe. No, we're still called to do all those things. But he was trying to help them understand that there is a line, there is a time at which you know, you, you're just not going to be able to get so close or so united, if you will, or partner with uh, uh, someone who doesn't have the same values as you, especially if a value of yours is Christ. This is what Paul's saying especially the value of yours is Christ. And so when you enter into these relationships, guys, like that's a big deal. And one of the worst things we do in our society is we kind of, we kind of segment our, our faith. We kind of make it just a, a, a box, a little compartment of the many things in our life. And, and the problem is, is that you, you, you engage in relationships, but you don't really bring up that box or eventually someone brings up that box and like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and you know, that kind of thing. And, and somebody might be like, oh cool, I didn't, you know, I've got no problem with Christians, you know, and it's like, they're, they're not antagonistic towards it, that kind of thing, but it's not a shared value. And listen, if you go on a couple of dates with people and you don't bring up the fact that Christ is the Lord of your life and that your faith is the umbrella that encompasses all things, you're part of the problem. Like if you, if you don't bring that up, that just means that's not a value for you. And you are going to find yourself in a world of trouble. Later on down the road, when you've done all these other things we're going to talk about, and you've committed, you've done all these things, and all of a sudden, you now are deeply enmeshed and engaged, and, and, and even sometimes married, without one of the most important shared values that you can have. And there's a lot of other values that you know, can be shared values, but guys, Christ needs to be the one. If we're going to seek him above all else, then that, that matters. So right now, make the decision. Look, when your, values, when your values are clear, your decisions are easier. That's it. When your values are clear, your decisions are easier. This, is either, this either matters to you or it doesn't. And if it doesn't matter to you right now, then don't come crying later on when you think it matters more. Like it needs to matter now. That's why these little decisions now make a huge, huge difference. Here's how Paul said it to his, his disciple Timothy and said, um, this is in 1 Timothy, he said, look, pursue righteousness and a godly life. You know, okay, pursue after God, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of true faith. Like what he's saying, like we just had a whole series on faith. What he's saying is don't let these other things, these, these things that are good, these things that may even be important, don't let them kind of overcrowd and overshadow the most important thing. Pursue after God. Fight that fight. Make it, make it worth the effort to fight the fight of good faith and to keep that at the foremost of your life, even as you engage in these relationships. The second one is emotional stability and trust. Emotional stability and trust. Now, emotional stability and trust, the reason I bring that up is because um, trusting someone with your heart is just one of the most vulnerable things you can do, all right? I mean, that's, that's just the reality. And depending on how you were raised, you, you may have some significant damage. 
You may have, I mean, maybe you weren't raised in a loving home. Maybe you had some struggle. Maybe, maybe you engaged in relationships that broke your heart after broke your heart and broke your heart. And maybe you, you maybe struggle with that a little bit. Maybe you experience, you know, you, you struggle with emotional maturity and you struggle with, you know, you, you could even have some mental health challenges, which is fine. That's, I mean, mental health issues are, are a reality, but, but you need to work on the fact that, again, you can only control you, is that you need to work on whether you have any stability at all. You can't, you know, it, it goes for men and women both. Like you can't, it's hard to trust someone who has sort of this mania of extremes on both ends of the spectrum. It's very difficult. Matter of fact, uh, again, James says it this way in terms of just talking about, you know, kind of the outcome of what this looks like. It says, the one who doubts, this is talking specifically about his faith, is like a wave of the sea. It blows and is tossed about by the wind, right? That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from God, especially when he's talking about prayer. And he says, but, but that person is a double-minded, the King James says, a double-minded man, right? It's, he's unstable in what they do. Someone who doesn't have, like, again, you can't expect your relationship to be the anchor for your emotions and for the emotional trauma and damage you've experienced in life. Like, the relationship's not going to, it's not going to be all better once you're married. Like, you bring all of that into your marriage and into your relationships. So that's where you are. If you are the one who's struggling with that, like, if you are, you know, sort of unstable in those areas, you know, get to work now. You know, sign up. Go see the counselor. You know, go have those conversations. You know, try to make amends with family members. Like, do the work before you get into those relationships, before you get into those close relationships that might even end up in marriage one day so that you can be the one who's worthy of letting someone else give you their heart. They can trust you with that. And again, it's got to be a value for you, especially when you're, 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 you know, you're with other people. You need to be able to trust them. You need to be able to trust them. I love this. Uh, this is a great verse. I'll give you the context in a minute, but I just, I love this verse because this has to do with how our emotions kind of pl- play with us. Jesus has to tell his disciples to keep watch and pray. Now, this is in the context of, you know, Jesus' last hours, and he's just, just trying to get his disciples not to take a nap during prayer, right? Like, this is, this is the context. But here's the part that I love. He says, so you won't give in to temptation. Like, you're not going to give in to the, the thing that's the easiest thing to do. You're not going to give in to the fleshly weakness because he says the spirit might be willing, but the what? Okay, hold on. The spirit is willing, but the what? The body is weak. The body is weak. The body is weak. So I love this verse. I've, I've probably said this to my kids a few times because I'm just like, look, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to get yourself into situations where you're, you're going to be tempted beyond what you can make a decision about in that moment, right? Like, you don't need to get yourself into those situations. You need to make some decisions before those decisions show themselves, right? Like, don't, don't, <laughs> don't be so emotionally manipulated because, again, our heart is deceitful you know, more than you could possibly imagine. Like, our emotions will hijack our logic every single time. So when it comes to closeness in relationships, you want to, you know, Jesus is like, I, don't, I think the words could be used like, keep watch and pray, okay? Don't let temptation in because your spirit is willing. Yes, you love Jesus. Yes, you love God. Yes, you want to follow him. But your flesh is what? Weak, right? <laughs> your flesh is weak. I say this sometimes. 
This is a great phrase. Do not make permanent decisions on temporary emotions. Do not make permanent decisions on temporary emotions. Look, that goes for young people, you know, getting a little too close, getting a little too familiar. I mean, trust me, do not make permanent decisions based on your temporary smittenness and love and all you need and emotions and fireworks and all sorts of things. Why? Because your, your, your brain is not working, right? Emotions have hijacked your amygdala. Like it's, it's not, you're not thinking logically anymore. But listen, this goes, this goes further. I've shared this with, with, with couples that I'm counseling that are like making, they're, they're, they're having arguments and then making life-altering decisions in the middle of these heated battles and arguments. And I just look at them sometimes and it's like, I give them the example of like, look, have you seen the movie Twister? Right? Have you seen what it looks like inside a tornado? You can't see anything. Stop making decisions. Right? Stop making permanent decisions when you are just caught up in temporary emotions. Don't do it. You need to seek. As you seek him first, look for that stability. Again, don't hear perfect. Okay, don't, don't hear perfect. Hear, hear the kind of stability that someone else is going to need in order to trust you with their heart. And for you to trust someone else with yours. The third one is kind of broken up between commitment and covenant because they are two different things. As you grow in relationship with someone else, there's going to be times in which, you know, you are, you are facing commitments. You are thinking about your future. You are thinking about, is this going to be a long-term relationship? That's a reality. And that commitment, those commitments are important, but again, we have to remind ourselves what commitments matter more, right? This is a great, a great verse from Proverbs again. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. doesn't matter whether it's work, school, you know, and he will establish your plans. Like, he will help the things work the way he wants them to work. But you got to trust him. You got to commit to him first. Like, like even in a relationship where you're, where you're thinking through the commitments you're, you want to make or you might be making to each other, you've got to commit to him first because sometimes, sometimes, you know, the, 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 the path might be not exactly the way you think it would need to go. I mean, there's people right now that I'm talking to that, I mean, they're facing a school decision. You know, they're facing a school decision and, or, or just a next step in their life, and they're praying through trusting God with making that decision, but that decision takes them away from a relationship. I mean, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it takes them physically away from a relationship that might turn into a long-distance thing, that might, it might cause strain on the relationship, and, you know, the commitment they wanted to make or the commitment they have in their heart is, you know, they're, they're wrestling with it. I'm like, I get it. Like you, you need to commit your plans to God first. You need to commit that to him. Let him work through the details. Let him work through the plans. Do not underestimate what God might do if you just trust him and follow him first. Don't underestimate that. Don't, don't underestimate the power of a, of a long-distance relationship. My wife and I, our, our whole senior year dating was long-distance relationship, right? And honestly, it probably, it, we look back at it, it's probably one of the best things we ever had because it established so much friendship and established some great communication uh, between me and We're almost 29 years married uh, next month. 29 years is our anniversary next month. And I'm like, that wasn't because of shared interest and, and just, you know, fireworks. That was, that was some other stuff that happened. And don't underestimate what God might do in a period 
period of long distance relationship. I mean, we paid, listen, we paid MCI a lot of money to work on this relationship, all right? All right, I mean, for the young ones in the room, we used to have to pay for long distance. I know you don't understand what that means. I, I just said a bunch of stuff you don't understand. So anyway, we, I mean, that, that was a big deal for us. But don't underestimate what God might want to do in that. Or for a short break. Or for a season of perspective. You, you just don't know. Just make the commitment to him first. Make the commitment to him first and then let him work through the plans that he needs to work through. Don't be afraid to follow him and trust him. Even with a relationship that you feel like may break or may, you know, stay together, just, just trust him. And if you do move into a place of covenant, and when I say covenant, I'm talking about marriage, the way God kind of talks about marriage. If you move into a place of covenant, there's something beautiful that happens, which is different than commitment. Again, I want to make sure you guys see this. This is Jesus repeating what was stated in Genesis in terms of how God sort of originally planned for this thing to go. Jesus is repeating it kind of giving his, his, his approval and sort of opinion on it. He says, this explains why a man leaves his father and a mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And this isn't just, just the physical act that was described in Genesis. This was bigger than this. And Jesus goes on to explain it. He says, they are no longer two. Like they, they, they come together as one, but now they're no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. This idea of the covenant that we make with God in marriage is, is a supernatural. I try to explain this in premarital counseling, and I, I think sometimes my words fall short. But I'm, when I read this verse, I'm like, you don't understand. There's a supernatural thing that happens when you get married in this covenant with God because it is no longer two individuals. Like it's no longer, it's not saying that you don't matter and you don't, it's not like you guys lose your identity, but you're no longer just two individuals. You are now one marriage that God sees as one. That's what the covenant is. And, and when you really kind of walk into your relationships with that, again, commitment's great, but you can't go into a marriage with just commitment because then commitment is going to be like, well, you do your part and I'll do my part and you, you fulfill your end of the bargain and I'll fulfill my end of the contract. And I'm just telling you, both of you are going to be disappointed. At some point, there's going to be a world of problems if you only have commitment. So even when I do weddings and I talk about the vows you make, like even the vows people make at weddings are like, this is foolish. Like you can't even, you can't do this, right? You can't even fulfill these vows unless you're in a covenant relationship with God. And the covenant was going to bring about something that we're going to talk about here in a minute, but it was going to bring about something beautiful in terms of, in terms of closeness in your relationship and that's physical intimacy. Physical intimacy was designed by God to be the blessing that followed the covenant. That's how it was intended to be used. And this is the area we mess up more than anything, especially in our current culture. Physical intimacy, and again, intimacy is more than just physical, right? Intimacy is to know and to be fully known. We have intimacy with God. Like, don't just think just physical, but intimacy in terms of how it works in our relationship was like, you know, God had planned for you, to, the two to become one so that the two could become one. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like it was yay, you know, like good stuff. And we're going to talk more in the next few weeks about 
when we mess that up. But that's the point, right? Like, that was the blessing of two becoming one in the covenant we made with God, is that you, you didn't just have shared values. You didn't just have stability and emotional connectedness. You didn't just have a commitment in your heart. You were able to know and be fully known. The deepest relationship that anyone could possibly have was to be the climax, was to be the, the culmination of you putting him first in your decisions and your direction, your pursuit of him, and, and doing these relationships his way. And a lot of things happen when we mess this up. Again, I'm not going to focus too long on it today, but I am going to touch on this. I mean, we're going to go ahead and read together. If you look at your scripture card, this is the one we're going to read along together. This is in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm just going to read a few verses. I'm going to probably readdress this again in a couple weeks. But I, I want to just hit this very quickly as we're closing. Because this is, again, this is one of those things that we probably mess up more than anything else. Especially in our current culture. So 1 Corinthians 6, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can read along on your phone. I'm going to read the New Living Translation. Um, I'm going to start in verse 12. This is Paul to the church. Paul says, you say that I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Don't let that fool you. It's just this idea that there was a lot of things that were permissible. You know, there's a lot of things in terms of they weren't bound by the law, but he was like, not all things are actually good for you. He says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Like just, it's just a simple transaction. Food made for the stomach, stomach's made for food. And Paul writes, this is true, though someday God's going to do away with both of them. <laughs> Hallelujah, right? You don't have to worry about getting bloated after you eat something. And you don't have to worry about getting, eating something. It's going to be great one day. And he says, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality because they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about your bodies. This is Paul basically saying, look, you're, you're talking about physical intimacy in such a way that it's just sort of this like thing where it's like food for stomach and stomach for food, and that's the only reason these two exist. And he's like, you're, you're kind of talking about sex that way, like sex is for the body and the body is for sex. Does that make sense? Like he's just like, and, and you can't do that because that's not how it was made. That's not how it was designed. He said, your body was actually made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about what you do with your body. If you skip down to verse 18, the charge is run from sexual sin. Why? Because no other sin affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for you are bought with a price, high price. You must honor God with your body. I tell it this way to people sometimes. I say, look, you know, the church hasn't always done a good job of this. Christians haven't always done a good job of this. But sexual sin is no greater in the eyes of God than any other sin. Like, it's, it doesn't have, it does, it's not more condemned, it's not more anything. It doesn't have, it, it's not like a weighted score. Like, sexual sin is just sin in the eyes of God in terms of, like, it doesn't send you to hell any more than lying or gossiping or cheating or, you know, whatever. Like, that's what it is. 
But he does make it very clear. If you, if you read the Bible, he does make it very, very clear that this, this physical intimacy that God created specifically for the covenant of marriage, right? He's like, this physical intimacy, this beautiful, magical, amazing thing that God created, when used outside of God's plan, is just as devastating, disastrous, and life-changing, but in the bad way. He's like, you have to understand that, that this beautiful thing, that you're, you know, you're talking about it just being this physical thing. He's like, but you're talking about this beautiful thing that God created. He said, no, that's, that's not how that works in relationships and the decisions you make and what you're pursuing. He's like, you, you don't understand that as magical as this is, to the same degree, it can be disastrous. It can be the thing that just changes the trajectory of your life, the consequences of living outside of God's plan. It, it can be the thing that can cause more guilt and shame in your life and insecurity and a host of other issues because we do not deal with our sexual intimacy and we do not look at this the way God designed and intended. So I look back at that list and I think, wow, what a great time. Maybe in your mind you think, boy, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. You know, like, what, what a great time to just think through the beautiful part of how God created our relationships to, to yes, happiness, freedom, peace, fulfillment, passion. We do get to have those things. But God gave us a way in which to pursue those things as we pursue Him first. As we pursue Him above all things. And maybe some of the stuff you're dealing with today is because you got some of this out of order. Maybe some of the stuff you're dealing with today is because, you know, again, you kind of believed that your marriage, the thing that things were going to get better. <laughs> and things actually got worse. You know, you thought emotional stability was going to get better and it just got worse. And you struggle with trust now. You thought, you thought the commitment was going to be enough, and it wasn't. Because you never really understood the covenant that you were entering into, that you have with God. I'm, I'm not, again, don't hear, these, don't hear this list as a, as a condemnation in any way, shape, and form. Why? Because God has told us that when we put him first in our life, when we continue to seek him above all else, he will deliver what we need. And it doesn't matter where you are in the journey of relationships. He's go, he, there's nothing that God can't redeem. There's nothing that he can't, uh, you know, restore. There's nothing that he can't do that with people who are surrendered and seeking him first. Is it harder? Yeah, of course it is. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> like, is it harder to do this on the back end and, and work through these things? Of course it is. That's not impossible. It, it, does it take more, more time, probably, but it's going to be worth it. This is, this is, the, this is the way I like to, to phrase this. This was a, a phrase I wrote down at the beginning, even before we did the series, when I was thinking through the whole idea of decisions, and I was like, you know, this, this is a good question to ask. If your relationships are moving in the direction of your decisions, do you like the direction your decisions are taking you? And so maybe, again, you're single, and you need to ask this question like, are you going where you want to go? Is it really pointing you towards him first? 
That's important. Start praying through that. You know, you think it's only the big decisions that are going to matter. A lot of the young people in the room, like, yeah, I know, we, we tend to lay that on you pretty heavy, that the big decisions matter. Well, every decision actually matters. Every decision actually matters. Like, think about where you are. Think about where you want to go, what you want to pursue. And just ask yourself the question, like, are the decisions I'm making really moving me to seek him first, above all else? to give him my plans, to commit to him first and letting him guide my steps, letting him work out the outcomes in relationships. I look forward to the next couple weeks again. We'll talk about marriage and a lot of the ways in which we, our misguided pursuits kind of get us into trouble, but just pray through that this week. Just where you are, where you're going, and is the direction really the way you want it to go? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Again, not so much that this, this is not something we may have already known, but to, to just have the clarity by which you do have a design for relationships. You have a design for how we engage and what we get out of our, 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 our relationships if we follow you, if we trust you, if we commit to you first and foremost. And God, we can't control other people, but God, we can pre-decide some things that make um, decisions a little bit easier. And so God, that's my prayer today from young people in the room, watching online to those maybe single again, maybe, maybe just in their marriage, just thinking through the things that aren't getting better, but it might be getting worse. And God, what, what can they do today? What can they do as, a, as couples today, as relationships today to put themselves back on the path of the decisions actually helping them continue to move and grow towards you. We pray, God, just by your Holy Spirit that you'll convict us where we need to be convicted. You'll challenge us where we need to be challenged. You'll encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And God, ultimately, will trust your word to lead us where we need to go and to equip us to get there. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.